Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high-stakes speed bumps and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market with our host, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell and Corey Frank from Branch 49. As sales leaders, we're ultimately responsible for revenue growth. In part two of this conversation between Helen Finucci, Chris Beal, and Corey Frank, they reveal how to build an asset that drives results, pipeline power. Learn why phone and conversation intelligence beats guesswork. Discover how to arm your team with the right data to fill your pipeline with serious opportunities. They dive into the critical questions you must ask on every account to accelerate sales cycles. Helen emphasizes that trust builds between companies early on, so executives must engage alongside reps. This conversation gives you tangible tips on avoiding over-strategizing in favor of authentic conversations. You'll pick up tactics to leverage intent signals, stop playing pipeline games, and create alignment around valuable targets. The key takeaway? With closed-loop feedback, your pipeline can become a core competitive advantage that speeds up cycles and boosts revenue. Listen to this episode, Conversations Convert to Pipeline Power. Well, Chris, you've said many times marketing has budget, but no headcount. Sales has headcount, but oftentimes no budget. I would imagine certainly one of the things with pipeline power, Helen, in this consultancy and this advisory that you have on helping clients get more refined targeting to think about their targeting differently is about giving more power to the sales folks. And perhaps if you're talking to the marketing folks, giving more power to the marketing folks how to allocate their budgets and allocate their resources uh, probably a little bit more efficiently. Yeah, I think so. But it also may be, it depends on the size of the organization, but I think there is a strategic, there needs to be a decider, if you will. Okay, this is the strategic decision, the direction we're going in, because the targeting is a representation or a manifestation of the strategy, of the business strategy. So that could be the head of sales, it could be Head of marketing, it, it depends organizationally where that lands, or it might be the CEO if it's a smaller company. But it does absolutely point to a business strategy. Now, if you get more efficient with targeting and are able to do more with less, that could be threatening to some sales leaders who want to have a bigger organization headcount wise. Or that might mean higher quotas. So it just depends on the dynamics. And I think it's really going to take some iteration and conversations with some, if you will, friendly customers, friendly folks that I have relationships with to actually kind of see what that dynamic is and what the sweet spot is in terms of the offering, as well as really the business challenge that these companies are looking to solve because it may not be targeting per se. I say targeting, but it actually may be market expansion. Like they want to test more markets. I mean, there's a lot of ways to apply that methodology and thought process. It could be, as I said, grow revenue fast here, get feedback, do more, or it could be, okay, we want to expand and we want to try out some new markets. So It'll be interesting as I get more time and focus engaging with my potential market 
to see mm-hmm. really what's resonating and what the core, like I have an idea of the core mm-hmm. challenges, but I think in some organizations, it will be different titles that care and it will resonate with some folks and other folks it, it might not resonate with. Well, I see the, and Chris, I would you think about this, just hearing from Helen on this, this, there's a market maker to open up your aperture when you look at your total addressable market, right? This, this is right how, how everybody's taught is total addressable market. And then you have your service addressable market. And then maybe even under that, you have your serviceable attainable market, right? So if TAM is your, your total potential market demand, and then you have your SAM, which is the portion that a business can realistically target. And then the SOM, the service obtainable market, is the portion that your business can realistically capture. If you're helping me expand again or open up that aperture a little bit to attack, to grab folks that maybe I didn't have access before, it seems like that aperture opening is good for small, mid-sized companies, especially because I don't have at Microsoft, you probably had X amount of account managers walking through the halls. You had X amount of client management managers. So you could fill in the gaps where maybe I couldn't see if I'm a small, mid-sized company to know, oh, no, no, no. Hey, Helen does the same thing that Chris, but Chris has a different title than Helen and she's on LinkedIn and Chris doesn't believe in that and he's not on that. Would you see that, Chris, from market dominance perspective is that that whole aperture gets a little bigger? Yeah, I think it gets bigger. And then you get to wrestle with the big factor in business, which is time. One of the huge differences among businesses is just how long can they go without eating? So just like among animals, right? Really big animals like me, I won't say anything about you, who have had plenty to eat and are are genetically engineered by nature to be of a certain size. We can go without eating for quite a little while. And at least an hour, at least an hour, yeah. <laughs> at least, at least. In my case, I've made it 37 minutes once and it was quite good. So a very small animal, it might have to eat once every hour or something like that. And I think a lot of what constitutes advice in sales and marketing go to market is advice that if you're the wrong size company and you take it, you die. You actually die of starvation. It becomes a pretty serious business, actually. So one of the factors you have to take into account is is kind of like how much do you have to kill and eat in the amount of time you have before you get skinny and die? And when you're opening that aperture, now that translates into how fast can you explore it, that this new chunk of market you're thinking about before it takes too long, right? So now the cycle time of exploration is super, super important. And if you believe that conversations are the means for exploration, and frankly, I don't know of any other that delivers enough highly reliable, high fidelity information, then the cycle time to next conversation within somebody who hypothetically is worth speaking to in that wider aperture becomes the dominant feature in the execution of your strategy. And that actually becomes the dominant feature. The feedback becomes the dominant feature in your actual strategy, because having a strategy you can't execute is kind of ridiculous. And yet we all start out with strategies we can't execute. We must, because we don't know enough to choose a strategy we can't execute. So our strategy is a hypothesis. We need to go out and engage. It always reminds me of when I first met Helen, we went sailing together. And there was a little piece of equipment that was on the mast 
and she knows sailing and I don't. She races sailboats and I serve as ballast, um, kind of animate ballast, right? There's killer whales and you can't get them to come up on the boat and do the job. So you use me instead. So I noted that when she saw this piece of equipment that was very small and looked out of place, that she ran, actually like went physically fast toward the mast, then stopped and examined. That's what you need to do in markets. You need to go fast into a point where you're engaging, which is the conversation. She was having a conversation with this loose piece of equipment with her eyes and her MIT trained brain, her engineer's brain. And then she came up with a strategy. The strategy from where she was sitting in the back of the boat and the stern would have been a poor strategy because she didn't have enough information. She needed the information from engaging the market, this little piece of metal that was hanging there looking funny, in order to be able to go, oh, this is what I'll do. I can safely tuck it away and ignore it, or I can take some time and fix it or whatever. I think that's a great analogy for this kind of work that Helen is embarking on with pipeline power is, look, you got to have somebody go run into the market and engage it and talk with it, not for the purpose of making a sale this quarter, but for the purpose of efficiently gathering information that will inform your strategy so you even know which of those three strategic layers with regard to TAM you're in. Because let me tell you, if you think you know you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. If you aren't getting feedback from the market through conversations at a short enough cycle time and a high enough frequency, you're just guessing. And your problem is competitively, somebody else might choose not to guess. And I think Helen's going to help her clients choose not to guess. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so with that, the choosing, the helping knuckleheads like me choose not to guess, where do you start, Helen? right? I'm a small midsize VP of sales. I have a decent patient board. I have a SaaS software product. I got some funding. I think I'm doing everything right. I have enough people. I got, I got headcount for more people as soon as I start proving myself and go to the board. So I think I'm doing okay, but wh where would I start with something like this with people power? I would start by looking at the data that you currently have in your CRM system or whatever your system of record is to find out because uh, to find out one where you're winning who you're winning with what types of people are making the buying decisions as a business you may or may not already know that depends how how you have been crawling through your own data so i'd start there to look at the current state and try to draw some conclusions or at least illuminate where resources are aligned and are they aligned to where you're currently winning or are they misaligned? So I would start looking at the current state to build a hypothesis of what you could do more of to accelerate your revenue. And it might be repositioning some resources to a new, to an industry that you're doing well at or trying to then going to find people let's say you have you know you have some folks that make the decision so you have some champions or economic buyers are what do they have in common across each other and then i i don't just mean job titles but the characteristics you can look on linkedin to see what the characteristics of those and then go find some more like that within 
a defined addressable market or what where you think you want to go. So I think some of those things are places to start. This begins to get the closed loop feedback. Okay, here you have data, you have some results and dispositions from your go to market, even if it's closed loss or not now, not interested, what have you. So trying to apply current data to then make some recommendations of how to move forward. The other thing too is what information do you have or that you capture that's proprietary to you? Because you can't build a defendable market dominance position on publicly available information. So what is it that you're collecting or you know that's proprietary and how do you get more of that that's relevant to your business? And I don't know if that's something, in my experience anyway, that's not really a deliberate thing that people put time. It sort of happens haphazardly and some people have more insights into their customer set, but doing that in an organized fashion to build up insights that your competitors don't have, or at least that's proprietary to you, makes a lot of sense in differentiating yourself and defending your position in the market. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and sell. Welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and Sell's patented technology loads your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing what kind of cheese they like on their impossible Whopper kind of qualified. Learn more at (laughs) connectandsell.com. And we're back with Corey, Chris, and Helen. It also sounds like, right, Chris, defending, hey, I got 409 A's that I have to do every every year. If I can make an argument that I have some proprietary IP with regards to my cybersecurity database versus everybody else's, that could be an advantage from an acquisition or funding or valuation perspective, could it not, Chris? Oh, yeah. I mean, when you come right down to it, growth is the big driver of valuations. And proprietary information is the big driver of growth. We actually, I think everybody knows that. It's like, I want my really good reps out talking to people and learning what their needs are. Proprietary information. That person told me what their needs are. I want to know when they're thinking of doing something. I want to know what other systems and processes we need to fit together with. I need to know who are the other people who are important in making a decision. I need to know... If they're in a macro situation that tells me and tells them, hey, we got to sit tight for a while, say in the middle of an M&A circumstance, but we think it'll be kind of done and, and integrated within three months, four months, five months, whatever, all of that proprietary information, that that's what is fundamental to being competitive. Your product features, your product capabilities are almost never going to be able to stand up to the market over time because if they're good, people will copy them. And they'll copy them, in fact, the innovator's dilemma tells us they will copy them with something that is cheaper than what you sell and not quite as good, but occupies a pretty big chunk of your addressable market, which you're now obliged to defend from above, right? This is 
those who haven't read their professor Clayton Christensen should grab their Innovator's Dilemma and reread it. And I would recommend rereading it twice, actually, because most of us don't get it when they read it the first time. It, it's interesting to me. Again, I told you I just read a book over the holidays here about the second law of thermodynamics, which is about the second law is the one that says you can't break even. You always lose. So the three laws are like you can't win, you always lose, and you can't get out of the game, right? Well, the one that says you always lose says things just get more disordered. Your job as a business is to create order by using energy up in the environment to do something. Well, what is that order? That order, that lower entropy is in the form of information that allows you to go to the market more efficiently. Talk to this person rather than this person. Have another conversation with this person in four weeks. Stay away from this person or this company because they don't have any need forever. Come back to these in a year because they will have need. Develop your product so it integrates with this product because that would give you access to this entire set of the market. All these things are driven by information that comes to you that creates order so that you don't dissolve into chaos, into entropy, like everything else in the universe, right? You're trying to fight against the tendency of the universe, which is to go crazy, to go disordered. The, the glass, when it falls and breaks, doesn't ever reassemble itself. Well, it's your job as a business to reassemble broken glasses or keep them from breaking. There's a lot of things that we can do. So what Helen is suggesting is one of the things we can do is let's pay attention to where we have a chance, but let's also find out if we have a chance. That is, let's make some good first decisions, hypothetical decisions as to where to go learn more. Then let's go learn more. Then let's make better decisions based on that information of where we should go learn more. Sales is actually a learning process primarily, and the exhaust of sales is deals and revenue. That's great, Chris. You heard that one yet, Helen, from him? A sales process is, a sales process is predominantly a learning exercise, and the exhaust and residue is revenue. I think that that's not a compelling value proposition for a business, particularly when talking to sales leaders. They're accountable for revenue. And yeah, okay, the learning thing. Mm, all right. Maybe it's a more CEO executive conversation. But for most sales leaders, I don't think that's a winning proposition. That's just my opinion. I don't disagree with Chris, but I think there's probably a more elegant way to frame it that would resonate more with the audience. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. Well, that's why I think most sales leaders last such a short amount of time in their jobs because they are held accountable for the quarter and maybe the next quarter, but the company is trying to do something over a longer period of time and you get this sort of mismatch. And so it's one of the big issues that we have now is it used to be sales was salespeople were formally, informally responsible for nurturing their territory. We give you a territory we don't expect you to leave the territory next quarter. We're actually thinking the longer you're in the territory, the more you're going to control the territory. And the revenue you generate from the territory will become more predictable over time. That's kind of why we do it, right? You get Corey, you get Phoenix. Well, we don't know how big Phoenix is for us revenue-wise, but we're pretty sure that if your butt's on the line, your family's fortune's on the line, and you're good, you're going to figure that out. In a world where geography no longer dominates, Territories become challenging, and now we've got to ask ourselves, well, so what are we 
we're really doing. And what we're really doing is we're saying, sales, you've got a new problem. You've got to also nurture relationships over time. The old problem that you had when you had a territory, but now you have to do it with a lot less territorial clarity. And I think almost all conversations with sales leaders now are relatively uncomfortable for a whole bunch of reasons, including the macro economy, which doesn't help at all. They're held accountable for what happens when interest rates go up too, interestingly enough. I actually agree with Helen. It's not a compelling value prop, but it's a fact of the world. And the fact is, those who sell really, really well turn out to be those who learned the fastest and turned those learnings into compelling value for those that are ready to buy now and nurturing relationships with those who will be ready to buy later. Well, and with what both of you have been saying, if it is indeed a learning exercise, and it may not be attractive to say that, hey, the residue is revenue, it also would yield the premise that the faster I can learn, the faster I can get to revenue. The more cycles I can put into that learning exercise, i.e. through nurturing, through cold calling, through understanding who my targets are out of the gate, uh, it's measured three times cut once. And versus how a lot of organizations are, I give you all these tools, I'm going to bring in all the reps for outreach and sales loft and LinkedIn navigator. You're going to learn as a sales professional how to do it. But maybe my nature isn't to be a farmer. My nature isn't to be a nurturer. My nature maybe isn't to be a closer. My nature isn't to be a presenter. But I have an armed with all these tools. I'm saddled with a number, million and a half. I'll see you in 12 months. And that's usually where, where it ends. And the sales leaders are there to help support them. Meaning, let me know if you have a deal that has a couple of commas in it because I'm going to come in and I'm going to help close that deal for you. But the tactical efforts are maybe probably geared around how your hygiene in Salesforce is. Maybe that's the majority of the tactical communication with the reps or in their all-hands meetings, correct? So it's an interesting dilemma, but, but I'm looking forward to hearing more about pipeline power. And by the way, if you go to pipelinepower.com, that's about offshore drilling rigs and things like I that. Know, that's not, I love that's it. not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking that about. That is well, pipelinepower.ai. AI, although I don't think our website's up yet, so still working on that. But yeah, no, I, I saw that as well. I thought, oh, that's perfect. That means it's <laughs> a completely different industry, no conflicts. I know this is pipelinepower.ai. By the way, Corey, the, your last statements there, the faster cycle time, this is why people who actually use the phone are going to win because they learn faster. And mm. leaders, leaders must work with their reps or understand how their reps are doing. You can't wait until there's a deal with multiple commas to go in and close it because it's already lost unless you're working with them earlier on because it is a team sport and you've got to get executives engaged early on to have that trust building relationship. The company that's buying your product has to buy the trust of the company, not just the trust of the rep. So there's a lot of leading indicators on territory planning, account planning, look, and I don't mean plan and put it on the shelf. I mean, plan as an inaction, next steps. What are you doing? What's going on? What problems are we solving? What's the compelling event, et cetera? All the questions that you would know 
matter along the way. But yeah, so pipeline power is really about targeting and improving and using closed loop data. So as you learn, that goes into the model to improve better and better targeting so that the company can grow and accelerate revenues and valuation and exits mm -hmm. or whatever the end game is for the mm -hmm. customers' companies. What I hear you saying is right up page out of the book is love your team by arming your team. I think uh, I think there was a recent LinkedIn post about that very uh, that, that very thing, and so uh, yes, arm them you the right arm way. Arm your team along the way, absolutely. Well, wonderful. Well, Helen, thanks for coming, kicking, and screaming to this episode of the Market Dominance Guys, and I'm glad you banished Chris to the corner of the house there where we normally get to opine in the, these weekly sessions. So, Chris, final thoughts on Love Your Team and on pipeline power and how it pertains to the market dominance mantra. Well, market dominance is always about starting with the list because markets are lists, they're not ideas. And getting that list to be sufficiently relevant that you can make hay while the sun shines, you can actually make some revenue off of it. And then learning from those interactions quickly and making the list better and better, sharper and sharper, more and more precise, that's the nature of the game. And I love the name that Helen's chosen, Pipeline Power. The, your pipeline is power. Jeb Blunt says the pipe is life. And that's pretty true. I mean, the pipeline is the power of your company. When you look at your balance sheet and you ask, what is the number one contributor to the biggest chunk of your balance sheet, which is called goodwill? It's your pipeline. That's so great. And obviously, valuations, as we, we, we talked about. So. Helen, thank you once again for joining us. We hope to hear more and more as uh, Pipeline Power learns more about this exhaust and residue that, uh, that we've talked so much about in the industry. I think that no one is talking about this element of the tip of the spear as much. And I think the cycle times, they're reduced. Those are real compelling arguments to, uh, to certainly engage with Helen and her team. So for the market dominance guys and Chris Beal, this is Corey Frank. Until next time. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer, investor, or partner is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's time to really go big, you need to use an uncommon methodology to gain attention, frame your thoughts, and employ a successful sequencing that is fresh enough to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. From crafting just the right cold call screenplays to curating and mapping the ideal call list for your entire TAM, Branch 49's modern and innovative sales toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe.